gearing up for the plugs for episode 82 of The Winning Agenda. Not a day goes by that I'm not really blown away that we're able to do this every single week across many different mediums of content, of course, our YouTube channel, as well as our podcast, our website with articles. And all of that is thanks to you, our listeners, and in particular, our Patreon supporters. If you're interested at all in supporting us on Patreon, you can jump onto patreon.com slash the winning agenda, choose a reward tier that suits you, and every month you can throw us a little bit of spare loot that you might have lying around. We'd really appreciate it, and it'll help us do some really fantastic things. This past weekend saw our first San San ANRPC qualifier tournament. It was an excellent event and I'm not just saying that because I qualified, hashtag humblebrag, but it really was great. Jesse Marshall ran a very tight ship and everybody had a great time. Special shout out to Carl who played his first event and made top four. If you don't have a San San qualifier in your area, it is not too late. Tell your favorite local game store to get in contact with us at thewinningagenda at gmail.com and we can get it off the ground for you. Thanks so much, guys. Please enjoy this week's episode of The Winning Agenda. Good evening and welcome to episode... 82 of the winning agenda tonight our panelists include 2015 regional champion and 2015 australian nationals top eight competitor wolfie horrig oh hi 2015 regional top eight competitor hollis echo hey good morning 2014 australian national champion and 2014 world's top 16 competitor jesse marshall hello 2015 nationals top eight competitor calvin Wong. hello and i'm your host brian holland and we've got a got a stacked panel tonight five people uh so many people from across the the globe uh, but we've got calvin joining us again welcome calvin always a pleasure how have you been uh pretty good um, not been winning a lot of Netrunner games, unfortunately, even though I am apparently a top 8 national competitor. I still can't quite believe this. <laughs> it's still on there. All right. Um, tonight, we are going to be talking about a radical idea that Jesse Marshall's brought to the table, and that is about sideboards. Now, sideboard is a term that's come from the other game. Uh, Wolfie Hurrig is a proponent player of the other game. Could you just tell the audience what a sideboard is? Um, <laughs> so a sideboard is a term that's used in many games, I'm sure, even though I only know it used in one particular game where you have you submit a main deck like in Netrunner, which might be 45 cards, and then you also have a certain number of cards which don't start in your deck, but you can... Uh, substitute them in a one-to-one fashion with cards in your deck at a certain time. So, for example, if you were to play a match of three games with one of your with your deck, uh, for example, then you might, but after the first game, substitute in cards from your sideboard to combat your opponent's strategy. Or if you were to play a match of five games, then you, uh, that might occur after the second game, for example. Excellent. Now, Jesse, uh, you've been thinking quite a lot about this, as I'm sure a few people have in recent times. What uh, aspects of this sideboarding rule do you think would be good for the game of Netrunner? Right, so before we talk about exactly... I guess what I've been thinking of as a proposal for sideboarding for Netrunner, I think it's important to talk about why it's come about. Uh, This is something that I thought about quite a bit and you and I discussed, Brian, probably about, I don't know, nearly a year ago. Yeah, yeah, six to eight months ago. Yeah, just in in the context of um, improving the design space in the game and improving deck diversity, but also opening up some options for factions to have different abilities. Um, And we'll come more to that later, but the main reason that it's come about recently is that there's been a development of strong linear strategies like the bioethics, biolock deck, 
and the rise again of cerebral imaging combo that has led me to... Uh, not to mention decks like Wizard as well, though, right? Like, yeah, not to mention decks yeah. like Faust that basically can invalidate yeah. a lot of your eyes. Pancakes, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, the, I guess just not just linear strategies, but as you're saying, strategies in general have diversified, which means that whenever you're going to a tournament, uh, what you choose to put in your deck... Uh, will often not be able to deal effectively with everything that's out there, which means that you'll have some far weaker matchups than what you would have had in the past, even if you're playing a pretty sort of general strategy. Um, you know, a general runner strategy might just be a complete, like almost 95% to lose to bioethics, unless you've got something in there specifically to deal with that. Uh, and that's not something that we've really seen in the game before, which can make tournaments a bit of a feel bad experience. If you're somebody who rocks up with what is, you know, a pretty traditional Netrunner deck, um, and you suddenly find that you're sort of 95% to lose in a pretty common matchup, that can be a pretty big feel bad moment. Now, even for people who are aware of what all the matchups are out there, it can be quite difficult for you to fit every answer in your deck to deal with CI, to deal with bioethics, and to deal with things that have been around forever, like Scorched Earth. Um, it, it's starting to become too many slots you need to have in your runner deck in particular mm. to deal with these corp strategies. Um, so we're starting to see that things like, uh, like f as a sort of basic example, Clot, Plascrete, Film Critic, Soul Set Slums, uh, Parisia, Scrubber are all cards that you sort of need some or all of in order to deal with the current corp metagame. And that's only going to get worse. And the, and the only issue, the other issue with that was what we talk about is a lot, a lot is cards like Plascrete, which are what we call dead in some matchups. Mm -hmm. So if and you have the ability you have... to sideboard them, you know, it makes it more, you know, flexible. Yep, and as you have more of those in your deck, not only do you have more variance in your deck because things are really good in some matchups and dead in others, but you're also diluting the overall synergy and power of your, uh, synergy of your deck in most games and power of your deck in most matchups. Um, but you're also restricting the deck diversity that's out there in a sort of perverse way because um, as runner, there becomes a growing list of uh, cards or group of cards or cards that do certain things that you really need to have in your deck in order to compete, which limits you from exploring more creative strategies. Um, so having the ability to have these in a sideboard and access the ones that you need in a particular matchup or the ones that you think you'll need uh, will allow runners to be a little bit more creative in particular in the way that they go about designing their decks. The idea, I guess I'll put it out there and then you guys can sort of say what you think of it, is that you the players uh, reveal their IDs as they do now at the start of the match um, and then each player has the opportunity uh, to bring cards into their deck from a maybe six to eight card sideboard um, that they have. Uh, the number's obviously not entirely relevant, it's the concept. So say it was eight cards, um, you register your deck, you register a sideboard as well of eight cards, and then as you sit down opposite your opponent, you both reveal your IDs, and based off your opponent's ID, um, you choose some of the cards from your sideboard that you think you'll need, and you replace some cards in your main deck that you think may be not so good in that matchup. Uh, this is obviously still only limited information. It's not going to be perfect information because you don't know actually what's in your opponent's deck. You only know their ID, so you know what faction they are and what strategy they're probably going to be leaning towards in a lot of instances. 
The other thing that's good about that, Jesse, just while we're on that particular thing, is that it's the sideboarding isn't just for those really narrow cards, like um, like Soulset Slums or something like that. But say if you sat down and your opponent's playing a Corset Wayland deck, you might swap in your Plascretes and maybe might swap in something like a Fairy or something that you know is more efficient to deal with an Archer than maybe a Mimic, which is what you normally run. Mm-hmm. So it gives you some more flexibility there, which I think is an, another aspect which would be really good. That's true, and that comes back, I think, Brian, to the idea of diversity of decks. It means that there are more yeah. icebreakers that are going to see play in sideboards. It means that there are more cards in general that people normally can't afford to slot into their deck that they can maybe experiment with narrow. having in a sideboard. Yeah. yeah. As somebody who tried to make the one-off everything shaper deck work for like two years, my my deck building experience on the runner side has basically been eternal sideboarding, right? Because my deck is Logos uh, in Chaos Theory. So the idea behind the Logos is to have enough 1Xs that you can have a decent answer to pretty much every single archetype. Uh, I completely agree that in recent times, I say recent meaning since the start of the cycle, uh, my runner deck feels more and more pulled in many different directions to the point where I feel like I don't have... I, I, I have to give up certain matchups. Like, if I build my deck for a specific event, I have to give up, for example, uh, the kill matchup. I just I just can't tech against it because I don't have the slots, and I'm just betting on the fact that I don't think that kill is strong in my meta, and not a lot of people are running kill. I'm talking about meat damage kill, by the way, not uh, Jinteki kill. That's a completely different uh, thing that you have to tech for. So even within the kill subset, you still have, you know, I need to pack either Deus Ex, or feedback filter, or plascrete, or you know, cards of that nature, right? And I can't pack all of them because there there'll be too many dead one X cards, and I don't have the slots, you know. And this is in a deck that literally runs one economy slot, which is Magnum Opus, right? My my deck is thirty nine tech cards in Magnum Opus, and then I'm still running low on slots. So I can't imagine how it is for other runners who have to run, you know. 9 to 12 economy cards and still find space for for their stuff. And I think that idea of having dead matchups is exactly what frustrates people about decks like Bioethics, uh, Biolock, because you have to have such specific cards in your deck to deal with it. And if you put them in your deck, you're weak against other decks. So when you go to yeah. this tournament and you're expecting to play Biolock, you've suddenly got a whole suite of cards in your deck that are completely useless against all the NEH decks you face. Yeah. Um, whereas if you don't put them in, you just straight up lose, and that feels awful. And, and while I think there'll be some people that say that teching against certain styles and then having dead matchups is part of the strategy of deck building for this game, I think that the negative play experiences that you get from that aspect sort of outweigh the potential fun of strategizing there. I mean, we talked quite a bit in previous episodes about, uh, Jesse spoke, spoke about it quite a lot, and I think, you know, uh, vocalized a lot of how we feel about the bioethics deck. You don't feel like you're playing Netrunner, and you, you mentioned about how you, you you get a lot of gratification from strategizing against the deck and then being able to beat it, but you don't feel that way against those kind of decks. And then when you're slotting in cards, like what was it you put in, um, you played at a recent store championship, was it... Uh, feedback filter which is the, the i had yeah i had net shield, net shield. Net shield parisia Solset yeah Solset, lots all of those stuff. kind of yeah. thing and then you you play against near fast advance and you're like oh look at all these dead cards you know and just 
yeah, not a good time. No. Uh, Calvin, going back to what you were saying a moment ago, do, do you think that as somebody who uh, tends to do a lot of homebrews and like gets a lot of creativity out of their deck building, do you think something like a sideboard would not only um, expand your horizon a little bit, but be able to uh, but, uh, help you make the decks that you build at home and bring to tournaments more competitive? If I had an eight-card sideboard um, for my runner, I, I can't really talk about my cop cop side because um, my cop deck building is so much worse than my runner um, but if I had an 8 card sideboard for my for my, for my runner deck it, I would feel a lot stronger but I don't know that I like what that does to the tournament structure because it makes scouting really important um, because mm. you know regardless of, of you know the fact that scouting is technically banned Right. What's to prevent me from no just sort longer. of looking over to? It's no longer banned. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah, but yeah. So that so that improves the uh, the the that increases the incentive to scout. Yeah, but I'd I'd sort of argue that the incentive to scout is already big enough in this game anyway, and the impact of it. I mean, if you scout out yeah. your opponent's near Earth hub deck and you get the information that they're playing Scorched Earth rather than bio, uh, sorry, rather than Bardic Labor. I think that's already important yeah, enough information. Yeah, like, like you, you would know whether or not you need to discard those plastics or not when you play that person. Yeah, I'm. You know, if you're drawing. I mean, them. It, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, Carl, yeah. I sure. think that if if they did implement a sideboard, I would just run with it because I'm one of those people who thinks that the designer, the, uh, the designers of this game are way more intelligent than me, especially when it comes to game design. So whenever they design things like the MWL and they print cards, even though whatever my personal feelings may be, I trust them. So I just roll with it. Yeah, and I think that uh, one of the things that the designers have done recently, which I think goes to what we're saying about deck diversity recently, is that they've introduced a whole lot more strategies and they've made a whole lot more strategies more viable, either deliberately or otherwise. You know, Biolock is a completely different way of playing the game and that's why a lot of people are frustrated playing against it. And I guess what I'm trying to say with this sideboard idea is that it's fine to have lots of different threats, particularly on the corp side, for the runners to face but if runners, if the corp threats are so diverse that runners have to go into a game um, and need really narrow specific cards just to be able to compete in that game, like with CI or with Biolock, then you need to give them the opportunity to access those cards without having to put them in their main deck. Because otherwise it just gets too difficult to have a deck that's competitive at a tournament against the whole corp metagame. I think uh, part of the problem is that it puts a lot of pressure on people's deck building. Right, some people play Netrunner. They don't play the deck building side of Netrunner, and I completely understand that because deck building is teeth pullingly difficult. Um, I personally enjoy it, but I don't think I'm very good at it. Um, but the point is that if you if you force people to look through their card pool and say, for example, archives interface, I've been including archives interface, and I actually think that it is an excellent card against almost every single matchup. I can't think of one where it's bad. Um, the issue is that to include Archive's interface, you need to cut to influence. Which to influence do you cut is a very, very, very difficult deck building question because it's meta-dependent, it's dependent on your deck, it's dependent on your strategy, etc, 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 right? For example, I cut clone ships. I cut two clone ships for my archives interface because I have three test run and three scavenge. I miss the hell out of the clone ships because instant speed SMC is massive, right? But I can't like um I can't have everything and I can't and I don't really want to cut, for example, imp, because imp is amazing at the moment. 
Uh, so that's just a deck building choice that I've had to make. But a lot of people, uh, I I might understand, you know, don't have the desire to sit down and tinker and tinker and tinker for hours and hours. So sideboarding might take some of the pressure off that, but I think it would also fundamentally alter how you approach event structures, which, hmm, I don't know. It's hard for me to say at the moment. I think that the actual, like, the current meta is such that it even sort of very much, it even sort of limits the options that you would normally go with for your uh, your ID choices. Like, for example, some of the IDs now are so incredibly powerful in the existing meta. Like, for example, with Wizard. Wizard is an ID that's being played not pr- not because it's necessarily inherently uh, better than noise all the time or better than Val all the time, but because in the current meta, whether it's incredibly asset heavy, Wizard is going to net you over the course of the game anywhere between what 25 to 45 or more credits, um, which is just absurd when you think about it. I mean, even if you were, even if I had Magnum Opus in my deck, it's almost unlikely that I would amass as add that many credits by you know comparatively. I do um, not, I do not get 40 credits on Magnum Opus some games. I can confirm this. Yeah, so I mean, like that, like the ability to say, all right, instead of actually having to, you know, be, uh, I guess, really shoehorned into playing a very particular ID, um, having the option to say, out of my eight sideboard cards, I'm gonna have two X Scrubber, two X Parisia, and these are only matchup dependent in case I play against decks that I know I'll have the time to trash things. So versus maybe Gagarin, versus IG, possibly NEH. Um, any other and and whereas any other matchups where I don't really care so much about trashing assets as, as you know uh, as often those cards take a backseat into something else that would actually be better versus that matchup and I, I guess the reason why it seems like there would be a fair balance here um, to an, uh, to a certain degree is because both the runner and the corp would have this capability so in the same way how I could say what do you, what list are you playing you're playing IG excellent I know that I probably should slide in my Parisia here to help me with trashing cards. IG at the same time or in turn it can say, you know what, maybe it's not a bad idea for me to consider a card such as uh, Power Shutdown. Parisia costs zero, Power Shutdown costs zero, I can just kill the Parisia. Or, are you playing Salset Slums? Excellent, I can slide in Elizabeth Mills, that way I can go ahead and trash this location. Those kinds of meta choices are really unique on both sides because they both have this sort of like, you know, my counter to your counter and then I'm countering that counter and then I'll counter that counter. To me, that makes the game interesting. But but you also sideboard. Uh, I'm not sure if we were clear about this, but you you sideboard secretly, essentially. So your opponent doesn't really know what you're siding in. So as Jesse uh, was talking about before we started recording, but it adds another level to the mind games. Almost, Jesse, if you just want to touch on that. Yeah. So and you've touched on a really important yeah. point, Hollis, as well within the game design that I think really supports the sideboard idea, which is that um, all of the silver bullets, or most of them at least, such as Clot, Plaskrete, Film Critic, have a weakness that the corp can counter it can use to counter them so clot has obviously its inbuilt purging drawback um and corps have cvs which a lot of corps are actually putting in their deck um and if they had the option i'm sure a lot more would include it in their sideboard um plus greek carapace obviously has counters through power grid overload um or shattered remains film critic can be snatch and grabbed all of the locations um as you said solstice slums can be elizabeth mills so those are all options that the corp has to include in their deck. But as you were pointing out just then, Brian, if people are having to sideboard secretly just based on the information of their opponent's ID, it's always going to be you know a little bit of a risk. But the point of giving people more control is that the player doesn't feel so bad if they've had the option 
you know, to have the Elizabeth Mills in their sideboard and they look at it and they think, well, I'm playing against a Shaper. Are there going to be that many locations? Maybe they're splashing Solset Slums. I don't think they will. I'm going to leave the Elizabeth Mills in the sideboard. And then they get blown out by a location. They don't think, oh, this game's so busted, I had no chance of winning. They think, next time I should really consider sideboarding in that Elizabeth Mills. And we also talk about um, like luxury slots when we're building decks. Like, you know, there's always cards that certain people like over other cards. So, like, when we see big, big net deck, T1 net decks going around, you'll always hear that someone's like, oh, I'm playing that list, but I swapped out this for this because of my local meta or because I really like how that card plays, if it's my play style. There'll be more options for people to do things like that while keeping that power level the same with the sideboard in tow. Yeah, because the threshold for a card to be playable in one matchup is always going to be yeah. so much lower than for it to be playable in your deck against the unknown field. Yeah. And that just exactly creates right. more diversity. Wilfie, you've been uncharacteristically silent this whole time. Do you have an opinion? <laughs> uh, I have some opinions. I actually, I wrote up this big thing uh, to keep all my opinions in one place rather than having them butt into one another halfway through speaking uh, each yeah. sentence. I do think that that last point you raised about control is probably the main advantage that I would see to sideboarding in terms of, uh, you know, the sort of things that make Netrunner or, or tournament Netrunner play good in that your decisions matter during a game. Uh, what you do determines how... Yeah, your decisions mattering during a game and uh, most of the time luck doesn't really factor into your whether you win or lose so both of those things are similar but kind of spoken like a true plucker but that's right it's sort of they work together to make it like and you know that there's um always something that you can do in a certain situation i guess that's kind of the whole point that you feel in control and so i would say that that would be the main advantage to me to sideboarding that even if you do decide that like this matchup even if you do make a sideboarding decision that doesn't turn out to be right at least you have the ability to make that decision and you have the ability to change your sideboarding based on the frequency at which you'll make those decisions which i think is really good uh but i do have some issues uh first i guess i'll just go through them in this not particular order uh one i think that i like the fact that what, I do agree that hyperlinear strategies, like linear strategies that are, are, that are very, very linear, like the Biolock deck or the Cerebral Imaging deck, which basically can't win playing a regular game. They may be like less than 5% of the time they try and win in some way other than what they're intending to do, which I think is an issue with Tournament Netrunner that, that those kind of decks are good but not necessarily one which needs to be solved using sideboards. Like, I think that the fact that... I think that uh, 95%... To say that 95% or whatever you... To say that you're, like, 95% to lose if you come up against this deck just because your deck, a regular deck, isn't tuned to beat that deck, I think isn't really true. I would say that you're 95% to lose if you come up against a deck and you have no idea what's going on, and that usually correlates strongly with playing a deck which isn't, like, in meta or whatever, but I wouldn't... I would think that if you were to look at the statistics, the decks wouldn't be um, strong to that extent, or they wouldn't be matchup-dependent to that extent, 
and it would be a bit more nuanced as to whether the matchups would be more polarized than you would want in Netrunner. And I think that would have to be something that you'd have to decide after looking at actual matchup data rather than just speculating about it because there's so many issues with the fact that uh, that the fact that they don't play regular Netrunner means that it's really, really hard to tell what you should do against those decks more than the fact that those decks are so strong that it's really hard to win if you're playing regular Netrunner. Yeah, I mean, I think that is sort of true to an extent. I, I, I guess the way I've tried to think about it, though, is that I've played against both CIM Biolock to a point where I feel like <laughs> I understand the matchup and know what I need to do to counter them, but also know that if I do those things to an ex- uh, include those cards in my deck or play in those ways uh, to, well, particularly including the ma- cards in my deck, to an extent that will allow me to compete reasonably well against those decks, I'm going to really, really suffer quite badly against other decks. Um, and that particularly CI, I think there are so few answers to it now outside of noise having a street peddler on the board that really do anything to properly disrupt it that it's quite hard to design a deck to go into a tournament to play against the field and to play against CI like those things pull you in such different directions like what what do you think of that Wolfie does that make do you think that's true or do you disagree um no, no I agree like that it's definitely a bigger factor than in the past but I would say that to make a structural decision about the like to make a decision about the tournament structure of the game i know that you know we're no damon stone or whatever and we don't get to like unilaterally make decisions so obviously i understand from that perspective (laughs) but uh just i think that uh the fact that the game already has multiple tools that is errata uh mwling printing new cards etc um to balance those sort of factors means that I would really have to feel like the format would be really distorted before I would say that, or not really distorted in the short term, but I would have to say that that you would have to think that that would be a long-term trend in the game, that these decks, hyperlinear decks, are becoming stronger and do require some structural change to deal with, rather than just, I think, uh, these decks are pull you in different directions um, but in a way which is not really uh, c- like similar to what we've seen before and so requires a different set of tools. Like I know that part there's the fact that there's been lots of like deck building puzzle uh, you know uh, chatter on the internet about like what's the best way to beat uh, Biolock, what's the best way to beat 7.CI means that I think that maybe these things, these are factors that can be just dealt with naturally but i do admit that sideboarding would have a huge impact sideboarding would have a large impact in allowing you to play cards which are more narrow and better in one matchup compared to better in general and if it it, if that could allow you to increase the number of cards that would get played in general because of this factor um i would say that that would be a good point but i also think that with the idea that you... With the particular suggestion that you have, the fact that the sideboard space is so small means that maybe some of the more nuanced decisions just uh, get extinguished uh, in favor of playing cards which are very strong in a very narrow 
number of situations. Like I really, well, yeah, like I mean, the... like change the size, make it make it twelve if you like, and then you got three a playset of four different cards or whatever. Like the the size. Yeah, we just spitball. Well, right? sure. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't real. That's not exactly the point, but like the fact that, um, you know, I like the idea of, you know, uh, being able to take have mental health clinic in your sideboard of your Jinteki control deck and sideboard it in um, against uh, people that aren't wizards. Yeah, people, <laughs> yeah, who, aren't yeah, wizard or people yeah. who aren't necessarily going to run and trash your assets early and who are going to make the game go longer, for example. But I have a feeling that with the way the game is currently designed to have silver bullets be either main deck playable or not playable at all, i.e. without a sideboard system, uh, it j- will just push sideboard space to be used no matter necessarily how big the sideboard is. Uh, obviously, as it gets larger, this becomes less impactful, but towards cards which are very, very impactful in very narrow matchups, but change your win percentage very highly when you draw that. Like, you see this in some of the other games with formats that are very large, which that have decks that pull you in multiple different directions. It's much more effective to have a very a small number of cards which only go in in one particular matchup but when you draw them they have a huge impact in that matchup like Salset Slums because those are the silver bullets that are kind of good now that I think that would crowd out the nuanced sideboarding decisions that get made when cards are kind of designed to sort of silver bullets are designed not to be as strong because there is the aspect of sideboarding yeah I guess the way that I would Sorry, just really quickly, Brian. Um, That's right. I guess the way I'd see it is that the I would rather that happen in a sideboard than in the main deck. I'd rather people be pushed for sideboard space than pushed and pulled in so many different directions in their de- main deck that they're um, you know lo- diluting their strategy and diluting their card pool, or having to forego those silver bullets entirely and just be in terrible situations and a lot of matchups. Um, and that the sideboard squeeze will only happen if the metagame does continue to be full of linear decks that pull runners in heaps of different directions or pull either side in heaps of different directions. But if the metagame does self-correct, like you're sort of saying it might, then that will open up space for people who say, well, I don't really need to use my sideboard to deal with these linear strategies if I don't want to, because those decks aren't that amazing. Instead, I can use it for, you know, this other creative purpose that I have. Sure, yeah, I I definitely agree, but the thing is that there's a limit because of the way... uh, I will just finish (laughs) with this. That's okay. uh, The way uh, Silver Bullets are designed now, there's a limit to how not effective uh, Salset Slums, for example, that's the new hotness, would be in your sideboard in the sense that, like, it would, like... There's a limit to how bad a card like Salset Slums could be in your sideboard just because its strength is so powerful in a narrow range of matchups. And so I think that would kind of... Yeah, whatever. It's just the same thing I was going to say before. Yeah, I agree with you partially, but I think that to some extent, um, Silver Bullets are so powerful and they need to be so powerful to potentially be playable in your main deck that that factor might take a while to form or i'm not sure if that would even form just because of the difference in effectiveness between very narrow and powerful cards and broader and less powerful cards calvin or hollis uh, closing closing comments so in general i think that i guess sort of my, my last final thought on it would sideboarding is really awesome when you don't know what your opponent's sideboard is uh 
Correct me if I'm wrong. I could be very wrong about this. But in Magic, you know, you're, like the top eight, for example, you know your opponent's deck list, but you don't know their sideboard. Is that accurate? That's not accurate. You either know their 75 or you don't know their deck at all. Usually wow. you know their entire 75. Okay. And I guess, I guess my concern would just be, you know, to some extent, is um, in particular matchups, like when you, if you look at like Scorch Kill, um, it, in the way sideboarding would work, and I, again, I understand that the, you know, the finite details of it could always be finagled with to be, make sure it's like not overpowering too, too, too much. But for example, if I do want to play something like uh, Sea Source Scorch, and my opponent is running something like uh, in their sideboard, they're running like 3x Plascrete, even with available answers in my own sideboard, it still seems like that would still be very difficult to sort of deal with. And my only concern would be you effectively, you could effectively completely kill off uh, strats and win cons from certain decks without a potential like adequate answer. Like for example, I think Clot may be an adequate answer to Fast Advance, but for example, uh, and Plascrete is an adequate answer for Scorch, but I'm not confident that something like Shattered Remains is always an adequate answer for Plascrete because they have to run to hit it. Um, that may never, I mean, that could also never trigger. Power Shutdown, they have a, they probably could have other cards that are less than three as far as an install cost. Um, so, like, those kinds of, like, very narrow situations is where I would, I would worry that where my, my sideboard can't really counter your sideboard. And so this secondary win condition or even my primary win condition is just impossible. Um, otherwise, I feel, like, I feel like, you know, with the total number of silver bullets, and we've talked before about how, how many silver bullets this game has, and it can be a positive and also a negative thing, it would make sense if this game is going to continue having large numbers of these silver bullet cards it's fine to say, instead of having my main deck consist of 11 silver bullet cards out of my 45-card deck, to instead say, how about I make a, a true 42-card, a 45-card deck, and I have eight slots, whatever the number was, slots dedicated to just those, you know, just those answers that I need for particular matchups. Um, so your deck is effect- effectively the most efficient that it can be versus the matchup that you would expect when you sit down in front of your opponent, and vice versa. And that I do like. Hollis covered one of my points, which was that I, that I really feel it will kill off a lot of niche strategies because there is a space in tournament structure for somebody to really come out of left field and absolutely dominate the field with something that nobody is prepared for. And I think sideboarding will kill that. And I think that really eliminates a, a, a potential avenue of creativity for people who want to play the game. And that's really important to me because as somebody who expresses himself creatively through their deck building and their playstyle, uh, I think that the ability to come up with really niche stuff that comes out of nowhere and just really and is effective because of surprise, um, even though that's technically you know um, sort of relying on your opponents being caught off guard to win, I still think it's a cool way to win. Uh, the second thing that I'm concerned about is how difficult it is sorry calvin i don't really understand how uh, having a sideboard would kill left field decks like surely it would encourage left field decks like how could someone come to be come to a tournament and be prepared for a left field deck yeah, yeah. um no because of what hollis was saying uh that some strategies would if if the opponent knows ahead of time what's coming that their win condition is just switched off right well i yeah no i just don't get how uh, if i don't know what's coming before the tournament because your deck's coming from left field how i can have the cards in my sideboard to deal with it uh i guess it just makes it harder it makes it harder right uh but anyway that's a minor concern relatively speaking my my big one uh 
is actually the effect that sideboarding has on new players because new players already have uh, significant challenges and hurdles to get into the game because the game is so complicated and so layered and coming up with a main deck and a sideboard and understanding the game well enough to use the sideboard um, I think it, it may increase the barrier of entry slightly too much and speaking as uh, you know somebody who's trying to grow the local community and is very interested in having new players continuously come into the game I worry that the sideboard may be a a, like slightly too much of a hurdle, but while at the same time acknowledging that the met the direction that the meta game can travel in terms of bioethics and CI seven pointer win is also discouraging for new people. Yeah, and if they have, you know, if a new player is coming to a tournament and they do just copy, you know, a deck off the internet and that deck includes a sideboard, um, presumably then they'll be also more equipped to, d- to deal with those strategies that would otherwise make them feel bad at a tournament. Yeah, I mean, I think a huge part of what we're discussing today is about removing that feel-bad aspect, right? Where you feel like there's nothing I could have done. And the, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think a huge reason of why we all play this game is that we always feel like there's something we could have done, right? It, even even when you're six six love down. Yeah, and you, you, yeah. you feel yeah, like you, you, can, you can do something, right? You can, like, play to your, find an out, play to it. And if it works, oh my god, best story ever. And that's why we play this game, right? So I, I completely understand where like the desire to have a sideboard is coming from. It creates a bigger space for players to create that for themselves. I totally get it. Uh, I just have concerns about the implementation, but you know that that would go without saying for everything, right? Is there anything you want to say very quickly in closing, Jesse? Um, yeah, I guess just to sort of broaden out the topic a little bit for our listeners in your minds, just to think about where this could lead. Um, another thing that Brian and I were initially discussing with it was uh, the idea of opening up design space so that cards can actually interact with the sideboard, which is kind of cool as well. Um, so, you know, Wayland has as part of its color pie, the ability to search your deck. Well, you know, this could become a part of that color pie and Wayland could have the opportunity to search its sideboard for cards and add them into the game. I think that's way. where the uh, inception of this came from. We were talking about how sweet it would be if there was a Wayland ID that let you set aside like 10 cards or something like that. Because they've, they've done similar things like that in the original Game of Thrones card game that FFG did. That yeah. that's, so, that's Rebirth, basically, right? Rebirth is basically a sideboard card because you bring all the IDs in your faction. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But instead in of for ID, it's for cards yeah. in your deck. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I also want to say just quickly that... Uh, uh, idea. It's a very cool idea to have different sorts of to come up with ideas for different sorts of IDs. So if you're interested in hearing about uh, different sorts of IDs or custom IDs, uh, please post in the comments. Yes, exactly right. Um, that, that's about all we've got time for this week on the Winning Agenda. Some very good discussion this week. Um, Good arguments on both sides. I thought I was firmly in one camp when we started, and now I'm not so sure. I'm sort of in between. If you guys have an opinion, you can shoot us a tweet uh, on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is Winning Agenda. Let us know what you think. Use a clever hashtag to support whichever side you're on, which would be very cute. Uh, you can uh, check us out on Facebook. Our like page is The Winning Agenda. Or if you uh, got a lot of thoughts you want to vomit out at us, you can send us an email at thewinningagenda at gmail.com. Uh, Until next week, guys, I've been Brian Holland. Thank you to everyone on the panel. Special guest, Calvin Wong. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming along, buddy. Yeah.
<laughs> and uh, yes, please send Wilfie all your all of your custom design ID ideas, even cards, design cards. Yeah, Wilfie, no? Yeah, sure. Anything? Excellent. Wilfie loves design. Uh, until next week, guys. See you very soon. Bye. 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 Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.